to the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at ababusinesslaw.americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection. everyone and welcome to this week's American Bar Association podcast on data security and privacy affiliated with Drexel University. I'm Jordan Fisher, your host, and I'm incredibly excited to welcome Nancy Hunter to the show today. Nancy, welcome. Thank you for having me, Jordan. I'm really thrilled to be here. So could you give our audience a little introduction to who you are and what it is that you're currently doing? Absolutely. So I am at the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia, where I am honored to be the CISO and data privacy officer. I've been there for about four years. I will tell you right up front that everything I say today are my words and my thoughts. Um, They are not reflective of the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia, the Federal Reserve System, or any of those organizations. These are really my thoughts and my ideas. Well, it's so great. It's such a unique position. I'd love to hear, as a woman in technology, What was your journey to how you got to where you currently are? How did you sort of create this unique career in the space? I had a series of good things happen to me. So I was a brave young girl who majored in math and chemistry. I was a geek right from the beginning, and it led me into different types of jobs, mostly in financial services. So I started out in actuarial science where I could use my math degree, and I became a programmer. I was in technology for years and years and years. And I was leading a technology team when about 18 years ago, somebody said, we're going to start this cybersecurity function. Would you like to build the third-party risk program? And I went, I have no idea what that is, but sure, why not? Um, For a major, major bank. And I was so fortunate that I was on the ground floor of getting to learn about risk and controls and Um, sort of daunting as this company had thousands and thousands and thousands of third parties, but I learned a lot. I jumped right in the pool, learned a lot, learned a lot, and and have enjoyed it ever since. I've been at the Fed, as I said, only four years, and that was, when you go to the Fed, it's like you've hit the lottery. There are not (laughs) very many jobs open at the Fed, but when you go there, you are in a place that is set with a mission. And it's not about how much money you make, although they pay us well. It is not about, um, it, it is just about doing the right thing for our country and the economy. And I get to do that every day, leading our cyber function and data privacy function. So i very, very fortunate. Very cool. And I love how you started in sort of that third party risk, because I think that's an area that just continues to really dominate the conversation. And a lot of our legal audience deals with it from a contractual perspective, but you're dealing with it more from that technical control aspect of it. Exactly. And I always say that you can outsource the service, but you cannot outsource the risk. You as a company are still accountable for making sure that every I is dotted Because at the end of the day, your reputation is what matters. And when that third party breaches with your name attached to it, it's your reputation. So 
I learned so much in that function um, about how to protect a company when working with a third party. No, that's so true. You never hear about the third party. You hear about the major <laughs> enterprise that's using the third party, that is for sure. Yeah. Um, so since you've been in sort of a cyber-oriented career for about, you know, the last like 20 plus years, what has been the biggest change you've experienced as you've progressed through your career? Because even cyber alone has just changed drastically. I mean, even the last like two or three years, we've seen those changes. So I can't imagine over that entire time period. So if you could speak a little bit to sort of what you've seen as your career has progressed. One thing is that people know what it is. So when I first started in cybersecurity, people had no idea what it was and what we were trying to protect or why. So now it is a part of our everyday life. It sits in the newspaper. You listen to podcasts. Everybody knows what cybersecurity is. Everybody knows what ransomware is. Everybody knows what phishing is. And those were all things that for the last 20 years, we've been trying to get people to pay attention to and listen to. Other things that have changed are it's um, the attacks are like on steroids now. So it is that they are asking for, there are more attacks. They're asking for more money. It's having a greater impact. We are being um, infiltrated from places that we never thought we'd be infiltrated from. Uh, we suspected that supply chain would happen eventually, but now we're seeing it happen. Those types of things um, are morphing this business where it means that you need to stay aware. You need to be prepared for the future. You need to really be awake all of the mm -hmm. time because you do not know what your day is going to be like. Although that's a plus. <laughs> <laughs> Very dynamic, right? You never oh, have the same day twice. <laughs> it's so much fun as opposed to going into a job where you do the same thing every day. Um, I am very fortunate that I never know. I might have a series of meetings, but boy, everything in between, I have no idea what's coming at me, uh, which keeps your brain active. And it's really interesting, that whole awareness. It's so true because even I have, and my career has been, my time period has been shorter than yours. I've seen people, you know, when I first started out in this space, people going, cyber and data privacy, law firm, like that, that's such a niche. There's nothing, there, you know, how much value is that going to add? And it's just drastically changed. And so I think that whole recognition of the need to focus on this from a business perspective, the recognition of the increasing threats is, is so key um, and so interesting to sort of see how that has evolved. Um, and I wonder, you know, you're talking about sort of the evolving threats, you know, what are the biggest challenges that you see in sort of cybersecurity now and going forward? Um, you know, are they legal challenges? Are they technical challenges? Are they people challenges? Is it all of them? It is all of them. So legally, I wish that we would have some kind of federal law. And that other countries would respect that law so that we were all working from the same playbook. Um, that would be wonderful because you now really need to look at, you know, state by state, country by country to make a decision. Um, I, I think that we need to pay attention to awareness for people. So although people are aware from what they read in the newspaper, some of it is fake news. And so you really do want to direct them to where they can help protect themselves, not only in their business, but in their home, because that infiltrates in as well. It all is integrated now where you, you think you're separating out, but you're not. Um, I think that we are changed forever by social media and by putting ourselves out there as potentials to be attacked 
by what we expose in social media. So I'm conscious and aware of that and try really hard to encourage the people that I work with and our employees and our leadership to understand that they every day are making choices that are impacting the safety and security of our business in their personal lives. Yeah, that recognition of the individual impact, both individual meaning me as an individual, but then also individual as in, you know, one small business can actually have a ripple effect, I think is one of the hardest, most complex components to understand. Because so often I hear people say, well, what does it matter if my account gets breached? Or, you know, I don't have a strong password. What is it? Does it really matter that much? And it's sort of recognizing that you are part of an ecosystem and that ecosystem is becoming increasingly reliant on the other members of that ecosystem. And that's what is so challenging to really articulate and then not overwhelm <laughs> when you're trying to explain that. Exactly. You do not want to shut down your audience. And I am not a lawyer. I depend on people like you to help me navigate the changes in the laws. It is every day. It feels like every day. If it's not, if it's not literally every day, it feels like every day there's a change happening somewhere. And you're just trying to figure out how to protect what you have. And so from the data privacy perspective, this is the first time in this role that I've actually owned a data privacy function. And so I think, what would I want them to do with my data? What if my social security number's out there? Do you really need to keep that? So we start with almost everything. We start with, do you really need that information? Can we make what you need smaller, less impactful? Can I give you the last four digits of something as opposed to giving you the whole number? And then, as I said, I'm very lucky in that I get to support both information security, cybersecurity, and data privacy but I depend on our legal community to help me navigate because mm -hmm. it changes too often and you don't want to break a law. That's very true. And it might actually be helpful for listeners to understand, you know, you're at the Federal Reserve, which I think is often misunderstood as to where it sort of sits because it's quasi governmental, but quasi not. And so that's why you almost sit at the juncture of the most complex area because you have both governmental governmental regulations as well as you know the state regulations that could, not necessarily, but they could impact you. Exactly. So the Federal Reserve, as you said, is that quasi government. So when things like the federal government decide to go on strike, we don't go on strike. We're not a part of that group. But we do try in solidarity to support what they what they have um, decided to do in terms of like the vaccine you know situation. We try to support whatever the federal government is doing. Uh, we are a nonprofit. We're not there to make money. Um, uh, my boss always jokes that when we need more money, we make it. <laughs> I suppose <laughs> we actually make it. Um, but we do distribute the currency in our economy. And we do a lot of research. So academic research as it relates to the economy and what that entrusts us with is a lot of data. So we, for instance, have a record of every mortgage that's ever been paid in the United States since the beginning of time. That's a huge responsibility. And um, so that's 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 what I, I come in every day thinking, what do I want to protect? How do I protect it? How mm -hmm. do I minimize it? Um, and I'm not breaking any laws. So every new product, I'm questioning you. Do you really need that? Why do you need that? Let's find a way for you not to need that. One thing I will say, though, in my career, 
what's different about cybersecurity is we used to be those people that you that did things to you. You only went when you needed to talk to them rarely. And we are now true business partners. We sit at the table and help to make decisions that impact our business. And so we want to be at that table. We want you to talk to us about what you're planning to build so we can build it in the most secure way possible. So that's where we're at. It's, it's a great place to be. And I love that, you know, um, the idea of, of taking cyber and making it part of the daily conversation. Because I think that's the only true cyber and privacy. That's the only true way to integrate privacy and security into day-to-day operations. And I often talk about culturally changing. You know, I actually don't want to have a standalone cyber. I want there to be a cyber function in each business unit so that that business unit is owning their cyber. They're owning their data privacy and then using the department, the cyber privacy info security as their experts to come in and help illuminate, to help them figure it out. But really, they're the ones who are owning it. You know, do they want the data? They have to articulate from a data privacy perspective why that's okay. Can they minimize it? They've got to articulate all of that. And we're just supporting that to help them to maybe reframe it or bring together tools or ideas or concepts that just they might not be aware of. Um, And that's the most effective to me program when you're addressing privacy and security in in an infrastructure. I completely agree. When I first started at the Fed, I created a information security consulting function where we put a cyber professional in each one of the business units to help them plan. We also started campaigns to talk about everybody being a cyber defender. And Mm -hmm. we reward people for the behavior we want to repeat. They want them to repeat. We do not want to Um, I'm not saying that we don't fire people who do the wrong thing because we really value honesty. (laughs) We value um, people respecting one another. There are certain things that are core to working at the Fed that we hold true, but we also reward the behavior that we want repeated. So if you have done a great job and found all of these phishing tests, we send you a little certificate to say, great job, you found all these phishing tests. Um, if you have done something special, you know, see something, say something, uh, we will say thank you. That's even when you've made a mistake yourself and you've highlighted that mistake. We don't punish the mistake. We go, thank you for telling about telling us about it, because it could be so much worse if you didn't disclose to us. So every single person in your organization is a cyber defender and we need to train them to be that defender. I love that. And it's really encouraging that behavior. And it's, I, I, I've also, we've talked about this before, the simple things like a certificate, like you would think like, does someone really care? They care about that, that or, or getting like a little mug that says cyber, like these little things that have a very low sort of um, bottom line cost, but actually really change the way that people interact with the system. And it's it's really using like small psychological things like that, that can really, you know, because we talk about all the technical controls and we can get into sort of those nuances, but at the end of the day, we click on a link, we click on a link, right? Like we're always going to be that weakest link. So if we can make that just more incentivized, I, I love those ideas. <laughs> exactly. We, we found all sorts of way to give you fish. So we give you plastic fish in different colors. If you do this, we give you goldfish, we give you Swedish fish. Pick your poison, but we we definitely, and it was really surprising to me how many people wanted the different color plastic fish. Who knew? They cost me less than a penny a piece. <laughs> I probably saved you like thousands of dollars in the other end. So 
Exactly. They're proud of themselves for, you know, for not clicking on this thing and getting a little plastic fish. So I, I, and they don't cost you anything. So for organizations Mm -hmm. that have no money, I, I like to choose when I ask for money. I really am very careful about asking for money because you know what? It's your budget, my budget. It's federal government's budget. I'm really cautious about asking for money. But when I do, I want to use it to the best of my ability. And so these are no cost items. They're Mm -hmm. just so cheap. What we did find with the pandemic was that goldfish and Swedish fish were not a good idea because there they sat in the office for a year. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. (laughs) I had to throw them all out. But the plastic fish... That's that's good to keep in mind. Yeah. Um, So I wanted to circle back because you had sort of mentioned the idea of a federal law um, and, and, you know, we, and to circle back to, I know you do have some international colleagues that you do work with and sort of from your perspective, how can the law going forward play a more effective role, recognizing that there's some jurisdictions like the European Union that have the GDPR um, and you have colleagues you know, I know we've talked about the international collaboration and then you sit in the United States and sort of from where you sit, how can the law play that effective role or or is this more technologically driven and the law is just always going to be trying to keep up? I would love for the law to try to keep up. So even <laughs> if they can't, it would be nice if they do. And I am fortunate enough to do work with the Bank of Spain in helping to run an international operational risk working group, which involves banks from almost 100 countries that come together to figure out how we can do a better job together. Um, We all come at it from different perspectives and people do pay attention to what you're going to be fined for. Mm -hmm. But also what's equally important when you find a criminal in your country, if that criminal is from another place, that other place needs to support you in prosecuting that criminal in returning that criminal back to you. And I know that we have big problems with our our world in terms of working together. But this is one area where everybody's potentially could be hit. Everybody and everybody could potentially benefit from not being exposed or not being hurt from cyber crimes. And as we talk about our critical infrastructure, you know, when your water system is impacted, that's everybody. The Mm -hmm. water system goes into the ocean. I mean, everybody, everybody's impacted. So I I have that Pollyanna view that I hope that one day we can come up with a common set of agreed procedures. It doesn't even have to be, you know, laws. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Really that common set of agreed procedures. I am realistic to know that it's probably not going to happen in my lifetime, but that doesn't mean we can't work towards it every day. Right. And I think it's 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 a recognition, too, of the inherent international nature of cyber threats and vulnerabilities, because, the you know, we as laws or as countries have jurisdictions, but the perpetrators don't. And often what you're seeing, a colleague in another country might be seeing and being able to have that sort of communication and those ways to aid each other is just so critical. Right. Sharing is really important. And we. Um, there's certain level we have the, the ISAC organizations and financial mm-hmm. services, there's FSISAC, where we actually do disclose where we have been impacted and it helps everybody. Wouldn't that be fantastic on a global level to be able to say, I see this coming and you can shut down that criminal because everybody knows it's coming, because everybody's mm-hmm. coming, everybody knows what the what the exposure is. 
Um, so I, I, I'm hopeful. Um, there are still some many, many, many things that we need to do ourselves um, so that we can take advantage of that. So an example would be, um, there are some real basic things that companies don't do well, patching being one, that mm-hmm. we see vulnerabilities that have existed in the wild that are known items for people to come in and attack and they're still not patched. I, I, it's sort of mind boggling that somebody gives you a list and goes, here it is. This is what you need to fix to keep from being impacted and people still don't fix it. So they always think it's going to happen to somebody else and not them. And then when it happens to them, they're surprised. What we're also seeing is that companies are sometimes attacked twice. You know, they, they're attacked once. They say, oh, good, good, good target. They still didn't fix it. And then they come back and get attacked again. So again, in that in terms of education, um, teaching people to do the right things in terms of patching, working together across our world so that we do communicate what we can about vulnerabilities, make it so much easier for everybody to participate and that we listen. Because I get in these forums and people are kind enough to share that help me to better armor myself. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 if we can do that, all the better. No, that's so true. Um, and I think that will be the mantra forever is that communication side, right? Overly communicating, finding those opportunities. And really it's creating partnerships that are just, you know, you can pick up the phone and have a phone, a conversation. I think that's so key. And that relationship building um, and then maintaining those relationships is just so important. I really do. Um, I completely agree. And just as we met, you know, many mm -hmm. years ago and build those relationships, those relationships can help you build new things like our women in cyber initiatives. And uh, there are all sorts of um, activities that can happen that you can leverage those relationships and those skill sets to help you build other new things. And in ways you can't even imagine when you first meet them, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so I'm wondering if you can sort of look forward and give it maybe a little in, um, you know, taste of where you see the world of cybersecurity and business evolving in the next few years. You know, are we at an apex with certain things? Are we shifting in any way? Um, you know, or are we just going to continue down this path for the foreseeable future or something I can't even think of right now? <laughs> I would like to see us be less reactive and more proactive. I would like to see us really stop and think about what does the future look like in terms of cybersecurity? Um, are we thinking about what's happening in five years, 10 years, 15 years? Because we've gotten pretty good at fixing ourselves once we're getting attacked. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm pretty good. But if we could plan for the future, all the better. But you have to um, empower yourself and um, and really allow yourself the privilege to think past today. So that's that's where I hope is that we are more proactive and that's never going to stop because what we think about is going to happen in five years, 10 years, in 20 years, it's going to be completely different. Right. It's going to so, be evolving. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And what do you think is the biggest bottleneck to being proactive? Is it financial resources being devoted? Is it is it having the people to, 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 to free up the, the minds to be proactive. I'm just curious from your perspective. Yeah. I don't think it's the people. Now people argue all the time that these cyber professionals are so few of them. I think you can train people. So everything doesn't have to be done yesterday, but it does have to be done tomorrow. So stop mm-hmm. and train people, um, bring them in, bring people that are interested and are curious and are intellectually thirsty. 
And those are the ones that are going to think about the future. And those are the ones that are, they can figure out the the day-to-day job. You know, I mean, they can check off that box and do whatever you need them to do. They'll, They'll be able to figure that out. So I think we have to stop and really train people, stop saying there aren't enough and really train people to get there, be open about what are the critical thinking skills that are important in cyber roles. These are no longer quote unquote technology jobs. These are business jobs. So not only do they have to understand the technology, but boy, they need to be able to communicate and mm-hmm. they need to be able to work with the business. So that's where I see us moving in, um, in, in really bringing in fresh ideas. We've been in this business a long time. We need fresh, we need new, we need interesting ideas. We have gotten pretty good at being able to find the bug, fix the bug, patch the thing. Um, We need to do that better, faster, smarter, but we're going to use tools like artificial intelligence to help us look. So we're we're going to get there. Um, But I want us to really be open to hiring fresh, smart people. They don't always come with degrees in technology. They may be a music major. Mm -hmm. I love music majors. They are creative within a set of rules. And you want people to be creative, not just check off the box. I always, I, I um, focus a lot on problem solvers, right? I don't need you to understand everything about the problem. I need you to understand how to think about the problem. Um, and I actually teach a design thinking risk course. I co-teach it with a professor at Drexel. And it's taking risk concepts and design thinking tools and marrying the two together. And I keep saying to the students, you're going to have a skill set that can apply in any industry, in any problem, because you're going to be able to look at a problem and think about it differently. And that's what we need. I completely, I couldn't agree more. I want to take your course (laughs) um, or send people to your course, because I believe that that's the wave of the future is the leaders will be people who can solve problems. Exactly. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for coming on. I always like to end the podcast with one final question, which is what is the most recent book you've read on cyber privacy and law and would you recommend it? Okay. So the the most recent book I've read is completely out of the the, the, the path. It's called The Signals Are Talking by a woman named Amy Webb. And it's about how to think about the future. Why is today today's fringe is tomorrow's mainstream. So I think it applies to everything, but especially technology. How do we get ahead of where we are today and really begin to think about the future? So I would recommend this book. And um, again, I think, I think it's a wonderful addition as opposed to just a standard technology book. Well, thank you so much, Nancy. This was fascinating. Really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it and have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the ABA Business Law Section's podcast series, To the Extent That. The section offers a robust collection of content. To explore more about this topic, or to learn about joining the section, visit ambar.org slash bizlaw. That's B-I-Z-L-A-W.